Got a quick little something I want to read to you. A baby asked God, the Heavenly Father, they tell me you are sending me to earth tomorrow. But how am I going to live there being so small and helpless? Your angel, God says, your angel will be waiting for you and will take care of you. The child further inquired, but tell me, here in heaven, I don't have anything to do but sing and smile and be happy. And God said, your angel will sing for you and will also smile for you. In addition, you will feel your angel's genuine love and warmth and you will be very happy. Again, the child asked, how am I going to be able to understand the, uh, when the people talk to me if I don't know the language? God said, your angel will tell you the most beautiful and sweet words you will ever hear. And with much patience and care, your angel will lovingly teach you how to speak. And what am I going to do when I wish to talk to you? And God said, your guardian angel will place your hand together and teach you how to pray. Well, who will protect me? God said, your angel will defend you at all costs, even if it means risking its life. But I, always, but I will always be sad because I will not see you anymore. God said, your angel will always talk to you about me and will teach you the way to come back to me, even though I will always be next to you. At that moment, there was much peace in heaven. But voices from earth could, hurt, could be heard, and the child hurriedly asked God, God, if I'm to leave now, please tell me my angel's name. As God listened to the, the statement, he simply said, called her mom. Called her mom. Today I want to speak to, in behalf of all moms, today's message is called The Strength of Motherhood. The Strength of Motherhood. There is no more influential or powerful role on earth than that of the impact made by you, the mother. Your words are never fully forgotten. Your touch leaves an impression and your memory and the memory of your presence lasts a lifetime. Throughout time and history and culture and tradition, the role of a, a woman, a mom, a wife has been so demeaning. You have been redefined by traditional culture. You've been made to feel inferior to that of a man. And so today, the best way to really ask the question as to who you are and how you were designed is to come from Scripture. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 16 because Jesus asked a very profound question to his disciples. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 to 17, it says this. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say that you are John the Baptist. Others say that you are Elijah. The others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. 
No greater profound question was asked by the Messiah, the Savior of the world, to his disciples when he looked at them and says, but who do you say that I am? And the revelation, the truth of his identity came not from this man's ability to know anything or to comprehend, but he says that which you spoke was revealed by the Father in heaven. So today the question is asked, who am I as a mother? Who am I as a woman by you? And the same thing that Jesus asked about the identity is where we're going to navigate through the scriptures when one is asked, who are you as a mother? Who does people say that you are? Because they've tried to redefine you. But the question is, what does God say about you and who you are? The first thing I wanted you to understand, number one, is that your strength The strength that you have is by God's design. Your strength comes from God. Let's look at the scriptures found in verse uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper. Somebody say helper. Fit for him. It's interesting that after Adam named all the animals... And everyone came to of its kind. God looked at Adam after naming all the animals and said, you know what? There's something wrong with this. In all of creation, if you read the Genesis account, everything God created, he called it what? He said what of it? Good. This was the only thing that stood before God that was not good. And the very thing that was not good was this man to be by himself. So he says, I will give you a helper. Now, this is interesting because I want to echo something that Pastor Ben spoke on, a, this particular word called the helper. In Hebrew, this word is called ezer, E-Z-E-R. You see, in order for us to understand who you are, moms, who you are, ladies, who you are as a wife or as a daughter, we've got to go back to the original designer. What was God doing when he said it was not good for this man to be alone? God had this incredible relationship with this man, Adam, one-on-one. It was just, it was incredible. And he loved Adam because he made him in his image and likeness. And when God saw that Adam's loneliness was not a representation of the triune God because God himself was not lonely. He had God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So this man's loneliness of being by himself was not a representation of the triune God. And out of God's love, here's what he said to Adam. Adam, it's not good for you to misrepresent me. So I'm going to put you to sleep and give you a type of me. Some of y'all going to catch that. He said, I'm going to, because of my love, I'm going to give you a gift that will be a type of me. And I will call her a helper. Not in the case of someone who's less than you or someone who's inferior, but let me look at this word deeply so that, ladies, you can clearly understand that your strength comes from God because you are by God's design. The word ezer occurs 21 times in the Old Testament. In two of those cases, it refers to Eve in Genesis. Three times in three of those cases, it refers to Israel when Israel cried out to God for help when they were in distress. And the final 16 times, the word helper or ezer 
is refers to God as a helper or coming alongside to help us when we are helpless. It shows one who is savior, rescuer, and protector. That's who you are. That's who you are by God's design, ladies. That's a good place to clap clap for God. By definition, the word ease or helper means to aid or support when in difficulty or distresses. We see that in Psalms 46 and 1. It says, God is our refuge, a strength, and a very present help in times of trouble. And ladies, if you ever want to know what you mean to your husband, be gone for days at a time and then come back. Let the, let the men say amen. We have seen no greater joy than to see you walk through that house and go, oh, I am so glad to see you. So in, in your design, God says, I'm going to make you a type of savior, a type of rescuer, a type of protector, a type of someone who has the ability and the strength and the power and the might to help in difficult times or in times of distress. We also see in John chapter 14, verse 15 and 16, it says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father who will give you another, here it is, another helper to be with you forever. In this case, the word helper refers to the Holy Spirit or the Greek word parakletes, one who runs alongside, one who aids and assists. The Holy Spirit's job is to help run alongside you so that you can be all that God has called you to be. Ladies, what you need to understand, when God designed you, he had designed you to walk next to him so that you can help him be everything that God has designed for him to be. And that's why God allowed you to show up. Now, I've come to hate this statement. Everybody makes it behind every great man is a woman, a great woman. I don't like that behind part. I don't like that behind part. I'd like to say beside every great man is a great woman. And I know women's agree with me. In addition, we see John chapter 16, verse 7 says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. And Jesus is getting ready to leave. And the disciples don't want him to leave because, you know, he's now risen. And they want him to be here and to carry to continue his mission. But Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, here we go again, the helper will not come to you. But if I go I will send him to you. What was Jesus saying? It is imperative that I leave because when I leave, I'm going to send to you me in another form. Did y'all get that? I will send me to you in another form. And that form is going to have the ability to live inside of you and to empower you and to encourage you and then to speak what God is saying to you. And it's called the Holy Spirit. If there has never, never been a place to navigate, to find out who you are, ladies, it is the Word of God. It is God who gives you the design. It is God who designed you. It is God who purposed you. It is God who gives you strength. It is God who gives you power and might to do what you do as a woman. And we have to recognize that. Hallelujah. 
Another definition of the word is not only to assist, but one to deliver from suffering. That's another definition of the word, Ezer. In Hebrews chapter 2, we see a clear picture of who you are, ladies. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 16 through 18. For surely it is not angels that he helps. There's the word. But he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brother in every aspect or respect so that he might become a merciful, faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for sin of the people. For because he himself has done what? Suffered when tempted, he is able to what? Help those who are being tempted. So in this picture, we see Jesus Christ, Paul revealing to us that Christ becomes our helper when we find ourselves, our strength is gone from the battle of the day. Delivered from suffering. How many times, mother, have you had to have your children play in the backyard or the front yard and hear this scream, Mama! And then you go running through the house. Or they came running the house and you see them, the little cut on the arm. Now, to you, it's not much. It's a little bitty scratch. But to them, their arm is about to fall off. The only thing that child knows is that they are in distress. They are suffering. They are hurting. And the one place they know they can run to is their easer, their help, their strength. One who comes in aid and suffer. And miraculously, you pucker up and you kiss it and make the bobo better. Anybody ever had mama make your bobo better? Just wave at me. <laughs> Caleb Bourgeois waves his hand like this. Mama kiss my bobos. <laughs> you hold power that is unmatched by any atomic weapon known to man. To anyone that would ever question the power of a woman, check every man that ever fell who was in power. All the nations of Europe, the armies of Europe, could not do to Napoleon what one woman did to him. We know where the power lies. I heard one preacher said, you know what? I may be the head in my household, but my wife is the neck that turns that head. That's not a stupid preacher. So if we were to ask... If her strength is by God's design, then where can we actually see that strength implemented? Where can we see her strength? You know, Hollywood has come out with this Marvel series and how this creature, I can't think of the guy's name, just started like beating up all on all the Avengers. Some of y'all know the, the guy with the glove, Thanos. Okay, I'm not into all of that. And he, he just did what no other power could do. And then he just took them all out, took them all down at one time. And then he went back to his planet. And then all of a sudden, here comes Captain Marvel. She's a woman. She's a woman. What is Hollywood trying to say to us? But before she came out, guess who came out? Wonder Woman. See, Hollywood is trying to define uh, 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 often femininity to strength. But I'm going to encourage you, there's nothing wrong with your femininity. Absolutely nothing wrong with it. So where 
Is your strength seen? Number one, your strength, ladies, is seen in your relationship with Jesus Christ. (laughs) Your strength lies in your submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to navigate throughout several scriptures in Proverbs 31 because that is a powerful piece of information about who you are. In Proverbs 31.10, in the Amplified, it says this, an excellent woman. In the King James, it says a virtuous woman, but I like the Amplified because it says an excellent woman. How many women say that you are an excellent woman today? Let me just wave your hand. Okay, okay. An excellent woman. One, now it defines this, one who is spiritual, capable, intelligent, and virtuous. Who is he who can find her? Her value is much more precious than jewels, and her worth is far above rubies and pearls. Let me read that again. Your strength lies in your relationship with Jesus Christ, your ability to submit to him. And in Proverbs 31, 10, it says, an excellent woman, one who is spiritual, capable, of intelligent, and virtuous. Who is he who can find her? Her value is more precious than jewels, and her worth is far above rubies and pearls. And if anybody can say amen, her husband can. There is a story that I'm reminded of. And it's a story of a man named Elimelech. His wife is named Naomi. And the two of them had two boys. Very quickly, they lived in Bethlehem, Judah. And a famine had come over the land. So Elimelech decided to, rem- to move his family from Bethlehem, Judah. And of all places, he decided to move his family to Moab. Now, for those of you who are not skilled or biblical, uh, who don't understand <coughs> the history of Moab, the Moabite people, to the Jewish people, they were detestable because of their idolatry, their worship of Baal, which at the very essence or core of Baal worship is the killing of children, and not to mention their sexual perversion throughout that nation. They were detestable people. So to the reader, it would be somewhat odd or questionable. Why would he move his family to Moab? Well, it's not long after they moved to Moab that Naomi experienced the death of her husband in Limelech. He dies. And her husband represents the strength of her time in her youth. But she's got two sons, so the sons represent her strength for her years spent when she gets older. So those two boys marry two girls in Moab, something they were not supposed to do. But this father chose to make this decision, and his wife followed. One of the daughters was named Orpah. The other one was named Ruth. In the process of time, not only did Naomi experience the death of her husband, but she also experienced the death of her two sons. So here she is much older. And I want you to see this picture. She gets word that famine has left Bethlehem, Judah. And now she says, I will arise and go back to Judah, to Bethlehem, Judah. So she gets up early in the morning and she gathers her two daughter-in-laws. They must have had an incredible relationship because the scripture tells me she looks at her daughter and she said, look, I'm old. I have nothing to offer you anymore. Even if I could have a baby, 
Would you wait around and wait for him? Because you're going to be that much older. So I have nothing to offer you. My two sons are gone. My husband's gone. I will rise up and go back to my land and go back to my people. And the Bible said these three women grabbed each other and they cried profusely. They lifted up their voice and they wept. And then one of the daughter-in-laws, Oprah, decided to leave and go back to her people and go back to that nation of sexual idolatry and perversion. But that was the other daughter-in-law. Her name was Ruth. And I want to pick up with the choice she made in that moment. The choice that she made in that moment. And I want you to look at it. It's found in Ruth chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. And this is what she says to her mother-in-law. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Notice how she says it. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth says... Oh, not so. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And watch this. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. You know what this girl was saying? I've seen what my people have. I've seen the culture of my people. I Don't want that. And she said, in the years I have spent with you, Naomi, you have told me about your God. You've told me about the wonders of your God, the power of your God. And I I was enamored and, and I was in awe of what you taught me about your God. So compared between the world and Jesus, give me Jesus. I will deny everything that that I know to follow Jesus. I will walk away from my family to follow Jesus. I want to let every mother know that when you made the choice to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, it set into motion the blessings that will be felt generationally for you when you made that choice to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. I believe at that moment, Ruth had no idea the effect of her choice to make Jesus the Lord and follow after God. But we can see it in chapter 4 of that same book, verse 18 through 22. And here's what it says. It speaks about the genealogy of David. And watch this. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered father Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. And Ram fathered Abinadab. Abinadab fathered Nashan, Nashan fathered Salmon, and Salmon fathered Boaz, and Boaz fathered Obed, and Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. What are you saying this morning to all of my sisters? I'm saying when that girl made the choice to walk away from the world and to follow God, Literally, God says, I'm going to bless you because from your lineage, from your womb, will come the Son of God because of the choice that you made to walk away from the world, to walk away from your culture. You navigate all the way to Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, and she is mentioned in the lineage of Jesus, one of three women mentioned in the lineage of Jesus. But she didn't say, I want to be in the Hall of Fame. I want everybody to know. She simply made a choice to follow God. So we see it 
in her relationship with Jesus, we see her strength. We see your strength in the power of your influence. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 1, it says, The wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, the foolish woman tears it down. Look at what it says. A wise woman knows how to build her house, but a foolish woman tears her house down. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3 and 4 says this. What does this wise woman look like? Here's what, here's what you look like. It says, through skillful and godly wisdom, a house. What do you mean? A life, a home, a family is built. And by, here we go, understanding it is established on a sound and good foundation. And by knowledge, its rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Now, you ask, what is wisdom? Wisdom is the ability to see with discernment, to view life from God's perspective. Understanding is the skill to respond with insight based on what we know God says. And knowledge is that rare trait of learning with perception, discovering, and growth. And the benefits of a woman who knows how to build her house on wisdom and knowledge is this. The rumors will be filled and established and then strengthened and they will be compared to riches. So we clearly see her strength in her salvation to Jesus Christ. We see her strength also seen in her husband. Proverbs 31, 11 and 12 says this, the heart of a husband trusts in her with secure confidence and he will have no lack of gain. She comforts and encourages and does him only good and not evil. That was a very interesting scripture for me to, to look at. The commentaries brought this out in a way, let me just bring it out to you, when it says, the heart of our husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. The commentary says, this woman lives her life in such a way that she does not try to manipulate her husband to get what she wants because she's never satisfied, causing him to go get ill-gotten gain to satisfy her. That's who she is. A woman who knows who she is and very satisfied and appreciate what her husband does for her. And finally, we see her strength, her influence is seen in her children. There was a woman by the name of Savannah, uh, Susanna West, Wesley. This woman had 19 children. And somebody else said, yes, Jesus. She had 19 children, and two of her boys helped to shape the spiritual history of two continents by rearing John Wesley and Charles Wesley. Many of the blessings we enjoy in America are byproducts of her two boys, Charles and Wesley. The revivals that hit these two nations were called the Great Awakening. When, time, when, when the time in Europe, in America, where the dark ages was coming in and people was turning away from God, God raised up a woman who would fear him with 19 children, set those children out and teach them about God. And from those 19, God raised up two boys who would literally change two continents and bring the knowledge of Jesus Christ back to a period called the Great Awakening. That's power, ladies. That's power. In Kentucky, there was a sweet little old Christian lady who didn't know much but knew about the Bible. She used to tell her little boy Bible stories as they sat by the fire log cabin. 
She didn't understand philosophy, but she told her baby boy the worst thing in the world was to be a hypocrite, but the noblest thing in the world was to be a man of integrity. She didn't know much about science, but she loved nature and told her little boy about the glory of God in the world. That little boy grew from that and became the 16th president of the United States. That little boy was Abraham Lincoln, a man of integrity. In Proverbs 31, 28, 29, it says, Her children rises up and call her blessed, happy, prosperous, to be admired. Her husband also, and he praises her, saying, Many daughters have done nobly and well with the strength of character that is steadfast in goodness, but you excels them all. There was a song came out, and I'm not even going to try to sing it. And the song, don't you wish your girlfriend was just like me? Now, I don't even know what the writer was trying to even figure out, but you know what? We're not even going there. And if my wife is a noble one, the answer is no, absolutely not. (laughs) Moms, your prayers and instructions for your children are never ending. I want you to understand Don't you ever become so discouraged by a wayward son or a wayward daughter of any age that you quit praying for them? Don't you ever allow the the, the moment of your time and the strength of your prayers to wane because you don't see God moving? I want to tell every mom in here, every grandmother, regardless of the age of that wayward child, when you fall on your knees and begin to seek heaven in behalf of that child who's turned their back against God, I'm telling you, all of heaven is at your disposal. God will rape that child across the coal and bring them back to the altar. But don't you ever stop praying for your children. The Bible says Satan comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I come that you may have life. And that's what I want you to hang on to. Yeah, it may not look good right now. Your children may be doing some of the most craziest things in the world. But the Bible said the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous has much power. You need to understand that. Proverbs 6, 20 through 22 says, My son, be guided by your father's God-given commandment instruction. Do not reject the teachings of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart and your thoughts and tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they, the godly teachings of your mother and your father, will guide you. When you sleep, they will keep watch over you. And when you wake, they will talk to you. Every single one of us clearly understand this. The older you got, the more wiser your mom seemed. Because when you were young, You thought you knew everything and you realized when you got older how stupid you really were. You don't have to say amen right there. The Apostle Paul speaks of young Timothy's and spiritual influence. And I love this. Second Timothy, verse 1 through, uh, verse chapter 1, verse 3 through 7 says this. And he says this of Timothy. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, Paul says to Timothy, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith. He's calling to attention this boy's sincere faith. And then he reveals to the writer, the writer reveals to the reader, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and then in your mother Eunice. 
And now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan the flames of the gift of God, which is in you through the laying of the on of hands. For God gives us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and self-control or a sound mind. What is Paul saying to us about Timothy? Timothy's godly influence was first given to him by his grandmother, and then she taught it to her daughter and then to her son. So what we're doing, we're speaking generationally. Every time God reveals himself to the children of Israel in the Old Testament, he said, I'm the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You just need to understand today, God has not forgotten your labor of love. And whatever you're battling with with your children, I'm telling you now, my mama used to say this all the time when I was in church. She said, if all 10 of our children, the one playing that keyboard was the worst. The one that stands before you preaching was the worst. I'm like, wow, I became the poster child for God can do something with this boy. And my mom would always say, every wrong turn was a right turn right back to God. And here I stand here as a testimony to that. And finally, not only is your influence seen in your husband, seen in your children, but is also seen in your church. Titus chapter 2, verse 4 and 5 says this. When you have gone into your older years... And your hair begins to change. And the beauty that you wear on your face from the times that God has taught you over the years, here is the value of every woman of age. And so the young women, train them, train the young women to love their husbands and their children. Wow. To be self-control, to be pure, to work at home, kind and submissive to their own husband, that the word of God may not be reviled. The beauty of a woman who stands with the glow of that gray hair. And for those of you getting older and you don't have the gray hair, bless the Lord Jesus. But ladies, the beauty of going old is that you've learned to be disciplined. You've learned to speak and not to speak. You've learned what to say and what not to say. You have learned to to submit to your husband. You've learned to submit to God. And now the beauty and the value of you now in this season, he said, what you have learned, maybe it's been difficult. I want you to teach it to them young girls. Young girls, let me talk to you. It is imperative that through your journey as a young mother, you have got to hook yourself up with a mama who done been there, with a grandmother who done been there, because that's something she can teach you. When you are ready to pull your hair out because of, as we say in the hood, them cheering. When them kids have gotten up, not that one nerve, the last nerve. And they always manage to know how to find the last nerve. And you're saying, God, are you sure I'm the one for these kids? Look through this sanctuary, go up and down and find you a woman of age. And say, I need your help. How did you do it? This morning I came to church and I made my way to that lady sitting right there. And I said, can I pray with you this morning? And she sat me down and I began to pray with her and began to thank God for keeping her. Mama Everest, I began to thank God for her wisdom. And not only the gifting that God gave her to her children, 
but the gift that God has given her to all the children. She helped with my kids. And I'm just like, Mama, get them, get them, get them. There has not been one person in this church that has not been touched one way or another by Mama Everest, even in her pralines. That girl, I love to see her jump in that car, turn that car, and all you can see is that white hair just going down the road. I'm like, girl, you do your thing. <laughs> to every woman of age <coughs> who finds yourself in this season of loneliness where your husband has now moved on, to every man of age who finds yourself in a season where your wife, your spouse, of all these years, have moved on and now in the presence of God. We want to tell you, you are not forgotten. You are not forgotten. It seems as if sometimes that you don't fit anymore in the kingdom. Sometimes you wonder if you even have any value to God at all. But I'm reminded of a woman that skits and runs around this church every day. (laughs) She is a reminder. She said, I love my husband. I hang on to the ministry, but God is not done with me yet. There is no retirement in the kingdom. So ladies and gentlemen, in your single, in your single years as a, now an older adult, there are no retirements in the kingdom. Your best years are in front of you, so get up on this thing and let's go. The church needs you, ladies. Proverbs 31, 26 says she opens her mouth. And skillful and godly wisdom and the teachings of kindness is on her tongue. Watch this, ladies, to my grandmothers, great-grandmothers, giving counsel and instruction. So as I close, what does it require to be a mother? What does motherhood require? Here's what it requires. Transparent tenderness. Being open. Sometimes when, you, when your hair is standing straight up on your head, you know, admit, I'm not doing good with this. But they need to see that tenderness. Your children need to see it. What else does it take to be what motherhood requires? Authentic spirituality. Being willing, first of all, to submit yourself to God. And with a bulldog tenacity, do not let the culture take your children. You will fight to the very end. Transparent tenderness, it takes authentic spirituality, it takes an inner confidence. Knowing who you are, you're not some inferior something the way the culture would want you to believe, but you are a type of Christ, a type of Savior, a type of one who aids when distress is coming. That's who you are. You don't have to put on a cape and fly through the neighborhood. Just jump in your car and do it. What does it take or require to be a mother? Transparent tenderness, authentic spirituality, inner confidence, unselfish love, and finally, self-control. This is what it takes. To every mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother, today we celebrate you. I want the mother of my children to come up. Won't you come? Baby, you know I love you, right? Boy, I couldn't have made a better choice, but she makes me look good. 
I, uh, last Sunday, Go ahead. last Sunday, when Pastor Ben was concluding his message, the Lord spoke to my heart while I had my hands raised. He says, at the end of your message, I want you, your wife, to come and declare a blessing over every mother in this place. So I'm going to ask every mother to stand, please. Every mother, every grandmother, great-grandmother, please stand. Amen. And I'd like my children to come up and uh, surround us as well. And if your children are around you, would you stand with your mothers and lay hands on them as we pray? And husbands as well. Everyone gather around those mothers. And if you see someone that doesn't have family members with them, would you be their support around at this time? Amen. Somebody gather around. I still see some mothers that are standing that doesn't have anyone around them. So pretty much everybody in the body of Christ, right? (laughs) Amen. Father God, we thank you for this day that you created mothers for the kingdom of God, that you created mothers to carry and to bear children. We thank you, God, for their unique combination of gifts and talents. We thank you for their tirelessness, their perseverance, their devotion. We ask that you give each one of them strength today and for the rest of their lives. Help them to see in every task that they do that it is of eternal significance that you placed on motherhood a great, great blessing. We especially pray for the single moms today that know that they must lean solely on you for the fathering of their children. We thank you that, um, that they will, even though those children might not ever know their earthly fathers, that know that the Father of Heaven is with them. You said that you be a father to the fatherless and a mother to the motherless. We ask that, Father, that you would give every single mother help, uh, stu- a, a, a great wisdom, great wisdom for each and every one of their children that they may raise them in the ways of the Lord. We also pray for the mother who has never had the honor of bearing children. That you wanted children, but you could never bear children, but you became a mother to others in this community, in this world, in the body of Christ, but whose nurturing hand extends to the many poor who are out there, and that, God, you will bless them. We also pray, Father, and ask that you would give every mother in this place today and those we know rest in the knowledge, rest in knowledge to know that their work is not in vain and that whatever they have done for the body of Christ for you will stand. We ask that your spirit will produce in the hearts of all of their children the things that you would have them to know as, as, a, as, a, as a, oh, a children of God. Then help them to know, God, that only the Holy Spirit of God can change the hearts of their children. That you would give us guidance. You give us wisdom. But only the Holy Spirit can change the hearts of the children. And we trust you for that, dear God. And as we rest in what you've given us to do. We, we pray that um, the children will rise up and call them blessed, and that the husbands will praise her in the gates. We thank you, God, that our hearts overflow with gratitude. You've given us this privilege. I'm so happy for it. I'm so strengthened for it. I'm so challenged by it, but I love it. And we thank you, God, and we praise you in this gate. We praise you today, and we ask that every mother be strengthened today. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your fresh grace. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen. Amen.